So, Berto, have you listened to the new podcast, S-Town, or, or Shit Town, as it's probably more accurately called? Have you listened to that podcast? I have. It started off really strong. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to pause yeah. you right there, because <laughs> I want to hear more about that later. Let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Berto? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I own a convenience store in downtown Seattle. Today, we're going to talk about S-Town. That was dark. Today, we're going to talk about S-Town, and we have two special guests on the show. Uh, one has already been on the show before, Michael Drain. Hello, my name is Michael Drain from Unpopular Culture, and I am so happy to be here with you guys. We are happy you're here. Oh, thank you. Michael Drain has been on the podcast before. He's a therapist. I, I think he's a great podcaster. Well, I think you're a great podcaster, Kirk. Uh, Look at all the love in this room. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> and Corey, who are you? Hello. Just to remind you, I'm the one who united both of you. So. That's right. <laughs> what? You're Cupid. <laughs> yeah. Podcast Cupid. Yes, that's correct. My name is Corey Stewart. I'm a graphic designer. I do all the marketing for UPC, and now I have a full-time gig with our Black Mirror podcast, so that's been fun. You're what? Yeah, we're You're doing what? Black Mirror. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. so funny story. Uh, Corey loves Black Mirror I'm and has so really, really been wanting to do a series about it, so... I was like, okay. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, come to find, you guys have been doing a Black Mirror series. Yeah, not a we full saw. podcast, but... No, we're doing a deep dive, one for each episode. And I'm associ- I'm like tagging, like, what's the one that's coming up? Um, uh, be Right Back. Be Right Back, the where, Facebook the, where the guy dies. Oh, yeah. The boyfriend dies. So you haven't done White uh, White Christmas yet? White Bear? No, oh. the Christmas one. Is that White Bear? No. Oh, no, we no, haven't no, no. done that yet. The Christmas one. Yeah. yeah. With uh, Don Draper. That's yeah. correct. Okay. Not yet. Oh. Can I please be on that one? <laughs> Hell yeah. It's my favorite episode. Absolutely. I'd love to talk. I would love that. Oh my God. Yeah, that, that one's amazing. Yeah. Berto and I love that show. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, you I guys killed to your it recaps. too. Yeah, we, we mm-hmm. listened to your recaps. Did you like it? They're really good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about S Town. Oh, and I should mention that in the past, Michael Drain and I would be talking over Skype. That's right. You were in Arizona. Yeah. I was in Seattle. Correct. And. Now you're actually in studio, the two of you. Yes, we are. And so, because you moved back up to Seattle. That's correct. Yep. Yep. Beautiful trees outside. And man, I just love it. I've been walking around the city every single day, (laughs) Snapchatting (laughs) and taking pictures. Wait, where were you? Uh, Phoenix. 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 Ooh, that gets hot. Yes. It's like Mars. Yeah. Like, why do people live there? (laughs) Stop. <laughs> no, no. Wow, I'm a little jaded because well, I, was, I, I was raised there. So, welcome back, though. Thanks, man. I am we so glad to be back here. It took me a while. The city really missed you, man. Thanks. Buddy. Can you kick out some of the people downtown? There's too many people now. I would love to, and they can take all their cars with them. <laughs> There's plenty of room in Austin. Damn right? like, the parking, man. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about S Town. Um, everyone, you've all listened to it. What do you think? Did you like it, Corey? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was really beautiful. The music was great. I binge listened it, listened to it as well. Um, I, I've heard that people that are fans of Serial say that it's kind of like a lesser grade Serial podcast, but I personally haven't listened to Serial, so we'll see what you guys think. Should we say spoiler alert, by the way? Yeah, spoiler oh. alert. We're going to oh, talk about the whole thing. It's one of those productions that can absolutely be spoiled yeah. i th- i think yeah so you should listen to it. i think it's all, what how many episodes is it like six, seven six or seven six or so it's only six or seven hours of your life mm-hmm. while you're doing the laundry while you're driving whatever you know you want to be doing while you're i don't know why my mind just went dirty when <laughs> while I, you're fixing <laughs> clocks <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so uh listen to that come back but anyway what do you think 
Uh, I would give it a. What do we do? We rate by Freud still? Oh yeah. Okay, oh. I will give you a eight and a half Freuds. Okay, yeah. What? So that's pretty high for yeah, shit town. It's fairly high. Yeah, it's fairly high. Uh, but it takes. I'm starting to agree with you, Corey. The more you say it, that it t- and you actually implied it too, Humberto. That it bl- kind of drops off. It gets a little slow. T- Oh, I didn't say that. No? Okay. Um, I'm kidding. I totally said that. (laughs) All right. I feel that way. I feel like after chapter three, it kind of stops being plot driven. There's less like, there's a huge murder here we're going to solve. And there's more about, look at how beautiful this man's life is, which are two very great things, but very different from each other. Yeah. it It takes a few turns. And then one of those turns, it just stops turning. (laughs) <laughs> sort of goes downhill in a straight line. Um, sort it's like a de- the last two episodes feel like a decompression mm-hmm. of of what's happened, and that's great in its own right. But the, I think the climax sort of happens okay. two two episodes before it actually ends. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think I remember feeling that way, and I I think I was actually passively listening to the to like a certain mid section in there. But Berto, what did you think of that? Podcast? So on a scale of like papaya to mango, yeah. for me it's like. At least uh, a guava. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Um, and and here's the thing. I did listen to Serial. And I got to be honest. I used to, the only podcast Season I one. used to listen. Listen. S- listen. Season. The only podcast I, the only podcasts I used to listen to were uh, gaming podcasts, like video games and stuff. So I didn't have experience with This American Life or realism. So when I started listening to it, it was only because it was all the hype and everyone was listening to it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm following this murder. I'm going to find out what really happened. And at the end, I I felt a little un, un, um, disappointed by the fact that there wasn't this nice little Hollywood bow. You're talking about season I'm one. I'm talking about serial, serial season one. Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because in this one, uh, halfway through it, maybe, I started realizing, oh, yeah, no, right. I, I should not expect... A Hollywood ending here. Yeah, there's no resolution. Yeah. But really. what I'll say is, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the mood of it. I enjoyed the characters. Such a and and partially because I'm so not used. I've never been to the South. I've never been like in those cultures. So I'm like, I was I was discovering a new world. And the guy is so fascinating. I'm sure we'll talk all about that. But I did wish that they had started the podcast with the tone of sort of the last half of it, yeah. so that I would have been prepared. For we're not solving the full enchilada here. You know, we're just like <laughs> we're exploring these characters and this environment, and we are discovering some aspects of the plot. But but I did feel like halfway through it, I was like, uh oh, what happened to the? It's like you're watching this movie and you're like, wait, where did the? I thought we were following the the bank robber. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> See, this is yeah. the argument Corey and I had. She yeah. was she was saying the same thing. It's like. It doesn't end. There's no... They led me to believe there was going to be this huge treasure hunt. And, like, we never even found out where the money was. And then they said, you know, the body of this person, John McLemore, thought would uncover the entire city. But turns out it would be his that would uncover the city. So I thought that... Right. Oh, sorry. Spoiler. I (laughs) I thought that we would find out something about the police corruption. Right. But which we didn't, really. Right. Actually, and that's a really great point, that the way it was set up initially... Um, when it was like he contacts the the This American Life, he's like, "Hey, you guys should write about this. This is such a thing." Uh, and of course, the setup initially is like, "Well, he sounds crazy, but clearly he's not gonna be crazy." And then that first that first twist where it's like, "Oh no, he was wrong about this," but there is more. Mm-hmm. But you're right. In the end, there was more, and there were weird twists, and there were a lot of weird things, but nothing like we don't know. We don't really know. 
It se- I was even thinking, oh, I don't think he killed himself. I think he was murdered, right? Exactly. That's where I was Me going with too. It. Yeah. And even before they, because they did bring that up. And, but even before that, I was like, I don't think he killed himself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, but isn't that the truth of life, though? It doesn't, there is no happy yes. ending. And that's what I was yes. saying to you. Yeah. It's like, it's, a, it's real. It's a real story. It doesn't, yeah. it's going to end messy and unsatisfying. Yeah. You know? I just, yeah. Right. That's therapist for you. It's like, we, uh, you know, are <laughs> ground zero on the suffering of humans. And there are rarely happy endings or even fairness in life. And so, yeah. so maybe we're more accustomed to that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I've certainly seen some stuff and, you know, the darker side of human nature and yeah. s- somewhere where I play a lot and I can feel myself always fighting that jaded point of view and, and trying to strike a balance. So, yeah, I can certainly understand. Well, not to be a podcast hipster but i was listening to this american life before there were even podcasts (laughs) actually and i've listened to every episode probably twice wow i fell in love with this american life in i think about like 2002 or something and it are and it had already been on the air for a while and they had all their episodes on the internet uh back then which was kind of it was sort of like a podcast on the internet before there were podcasts and then as soon as podcasts came out I listen to This American Life all the time. It was, it was my favorite show of all time, and it, it was much better in the past. Lately, it's been a little not so great. I mean, it's still great, but it's but back in the day, it was just it was so fascinating to me. And so, when Serial season one came out, I was like, you know, absolutely going to listen to it. And, and you knew what you were and, getting into, and I knew what I was getting into because as as they introduced the topic of. Uh, what was his name again? In John season- B. McElmore. No, no, no. It's, it's in in Serial oh, season uh, one. Oh, oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> uh, what's his What's his name? Anyway, the kid, the main kid. Yeah, the kid. Yeah, the kid in, in prison. But anyway, mom, God, something That's like right. Ahmad. I wish we Ahmad or something like that. Yeah. I wish we had a phone or a thing that or a if only we had way, some yeah. sort of portable technology that was connected. See, if you, if will. you had an Alexa <laughs> or something, we could just say, Yeah, Alexa, know, Alexa, where's my computer? Oh, it's right in front of me. But I, as I was, you know, as the topic was being introduced to me, I immediately realized, oh, they're not going to answer this question because This American Life never answers questions. I see. Or they rarely <laughs> answer questions. Even in the Trump world, even, even though the vast majority of our listeners and contributors are likely to be, you know, extreme liberals, they're, they're even pretty f- even-handed when it comes to Republicans. And so... This American Life doesn't like to take sides, and so I knew in this po- season one, I knew there wasn't going to be a, a wrapped-up ending. And I, and as it was blowing up, and everyone was listening to it, including yourself, Berto, <laughs> I, I just saw this train wreck <laughs> that was going to happen because I, I was predicting that they were not going to wrap it up. I was just like, this is not if, if they're following all the other This American Life kind of things. They're just going to end it. It'll, it's just going to end, and everyone's going to be pissed off. And people were ten times more pissed off than I thought they were going to be. <laughs> it was see, it was like it was like tonight at eleven. Find out which household product will kill you in ten days. Yeah. Then at eleven, they they go through all these household products. At the end, they're like, "Well, we don't know for sure if any of these are even dangerous, Aww. but they might be, or maybe not." That's the worst. The end. <laughs> <laughs> or it's obvious. Bleach will kill you. Yeah. Or at nine. Yeah. <laughs> 
Republican bleach will kill you. <laughs> but but no, the they never. To be fair, they never said that. They just said, "I I Sarah Koenig am going on a journey of trying to figure this out." With dramatic and, music. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. I'm yeah. sure they knew that was part of the pull. But anyway, and then season two serial came out, and I actually like season two of serial. Did anyone listen to that? No. no. I actually like that one better. If anyone's listened to it, they know. It's not usually talked about, but I think it's like super interesting uh, season two of serial. And so when, um, when S Down, Shit Down came out, I figured it was going to be something similar to yeah. that. I was like, okay, we're going to – this American Life isn't going to just tell like just a – a bland crime story where we discover someone killed someone that it can't, <laughs> it, it can't be that it, there must be something in here. And, and pretty right away I started trying to figure out what the twist was going to be. And I thought, I wonder if this guy's going to kill himself. Cause he's, you know, there's, yeah. he, he talked about depression and suicide. And I thought, I wonder if that's going to be the twist or something. And then, and then that ended up, being the twist. Yeah, the halfway... Although it happened early in the series. Right, right. I, I also thought to myself, like, uh, this guy sounds depressed. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't happy. So I uh, am like you, Corey, in that I thought it was beautiful and really interesting. And like you guys are saying, it's like this look into this rural Alabama. Unlike you, Berto, I actually know people like this from that. You actually know one of my friends from that part of town, from that oh, part of the country. Who? Someone you can't Stu? mention. Oh, Stu. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's not from Alabama, but... But he's not he's from the sort way of, I would picture. But he knows all those people. Okay, so, okay. So, he, so he would introduce me and sort of tell me about life and <laughs> I mean, he did rural... hogtie me and try to do weird things, but that's not... <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, I was, but at the same time, I don't have a lot of contact with those, you know, sort of people. So in the same way, it was just like, wow, you know, it's just looking to this world. And I thought, you know, he did a really great job of, of not exploiting them and, and really trying to paint a picture. Um, but on the other hand, as soon as it really started to, as soon as they really started to tell the story and, you know, John B. McLemore, they revealed that he had committed suicide. I felt like I was at work. I, I felt like, oh, I, this is someone with mental illness yeah. who committed suicide, and this is a podcast about that and the fallout and how everyone kind of reacts to that. And then everyone's m grabbing for money that may or may not even exist. It, it just it didn't feel good to me. <laughs> I just felt like I was kind of depressed or yeah. something. And I wasn't compelled by that, by the last half of the story. It was just, it felt like kind of like a slog to me. I don't know. Did it feel like work to you at, at times? Absolutely. Yeah. There, were, there, was a, there was a case study component to it. And I don't know, you can't help but look at the world that way, sort of, you know? And uh, his, he's, his mania and then his depression, the way it would alternate. And then what was unique about him is how highly intelligent he was in all the projects and things he would invest himself into and there seemed to be no end and it was a seeking happiness but never finding it yeah you know i i honestly feel like this podcast even though it was successful critically acclaimed i feel it did a disservice to itself by the way it presented those first two or three episodes because it was cliffhangery and it was 
sort of like a whodunit, right? And they yeah. like you you quote it almost verbatim that like it will unravel the town. That sounds promising, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. they did kind of set it but, up that way. Mm-hmm. But it could have been presented as sort of a uh, an homage or a memorandum of this very beautiful, interesting, but troubled individual, and just kind of sort of just done that from the get go. Like even up front, like and you know. John B. McMore committed suicide, but he originally like just let let the cat out of the bag because what was so interesting was a genius, worldwide renowned clock uh, uh, repairer, uh, and and turns out he was struggling with homosexuality down in the deep south. Mm-hmm. All those things are so valid, but yet they get buried towards the end of the underneath the, the like, thing when shocking you're still plot like, stories. Yeah, when a lot of us are still like, wait, I I I hear, oh, he's homosexual. Oh shit! But get back to the murder. What's the murder? Mm-hmm. And so it it kind of does a disservice. It yeah. does. It starts off that way. You think it's one thing within the first I don't know episode or whatever where you think. He's going down to Alabama to investigate this murder, and this guy's going to be sort of his guide. Yeah. And then it goes there, and then that almost immediately dissolves into this case profile of this guy who's just all these dimensions. Then it takes this other turn where he kills himself, and now there's this land grab, and then there's this, this treasure. Yeah, there's this thing with Tyler versus uh, what is it, Rita, the cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, man. Which, by the way. It, Again, there were hidden twists. They were sort of like right. undersold because uh, when you first meet Rita, you're like, oh, those cousins are that bad bitch. news. Turns out they were sort of the sane ones. Well, or the, they, did you notice they sold it that way? At did, first, yeah. it was the perspective of the evil cousins and poor Tyler, yeah. and then it sort of switched yeah. at the end. Or, or next. Well, maybe Tyler's right. the one that's right. screwed up, and Rita's yeah. just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So I think that technique would have been fine if they had had sort of like that nugget, the gold nugget at the end. Uh, the way the actual data was there, I think it would have been less disappointing if it had been, and I don't know if it would have, if it would have been as listened to. Maybe not. That that is a fair point. But I just feel like there was so much interesting stuff there about this guy and about the town and about the the struggles, the real struggles that he had with his sexuality and all these things. That uh, if I had just known, I might have paid more attention to those. Yeah, and, and to yeah. give them credit, they did reveal the twist pretty quickly mm-hmm. and way before it happened in the story. So so pretty quickly they said, actually, this is not about a murder. This is about a suicide, da 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 um, Well, you say that, but it wasn't said that way. It was Right, I still believe that he was killed, that it wasn't a suicide, that there was some underlining motive. I was waiting oh. for the twist as well. I you thought- believe that? I did when I heard that. First. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Because she says, or he, he says, uh, he says, uh, I came here to uncover the mystery of one body. Yeah, he, he describes it as it being a body. other body oh. that would finally... I, right. think I, I, I think maybe because <laughs> I was predicting what I heard was... John B. McAblore kills himself, and I'm I'm going to tell you that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I can't remember exactly how it was revealed. Having said all the negative things that I've already said about the podcast, when I compare S-Town to all the other works of art or documentaries or TV shows yeah. or, you know, uh, pop songs today, I mean, have you heard the Chainsmokers? I mean, my God. <laughs> Has anyone heard the Chainsmokers songs? These are, these are I mean, Berto, you have to listen no, to this crap. I haven't heard it's, it. it is awful. <laughs> yeah, what is this? It is, it, they're the biggest band in the world right now. Chainsmokers? And, yeah. And the reason okay. why you haven't, you know, heard them is because we're old now, I guess. I but, still listen to the Beatles. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
That's my when new, I compare new, new music. <laughs> when I compare S Town to you know all the various different things that one could spend their time doing, I put S Town in the top point one percent of all that stuff, even with the negative things. Yeah. I mean, agreed. There are so many podcasts out there that don't even come close to th- this level of interest and work and the poignancy of it and I think what it does to provide empathy for other human beings, for mental health, for uh, bridging the gap between left and right. You know, there's all these different things that I think S-Town does. And so, you know, I, I oh, still absolutely. think it's worth your time. And it's only seven episodes-ish or something. So, it's- mm-hmm. And I was admiring the whole time, even after like the – I was like, okay, I guess there's not going to be a big twist. But I was admiring the amount of effort and work that this person – what's the name of the podcaster? Uh, Brian Reed. Brian Reed. I was like, oh my God, because this couldn't have been his only story. Otherwise, you're putting all your coals in. But it's like, oh, he traveled there over years to have this conversation, mm-hmm. compiled all these things. And then when he cries, when he dies. Do you think oh, that I was know. a genuine reaction? Is that- I thought so. You didn't I spent so? a lot of my time wondering how genuine it was because I didn't have the context of this American Life yeah, or Kirk, cereal. You know, you're, a, you're the Brian Reed expert. <clears throat> well, I, I think that and I was thinking about this as it was happening. Um, I think he totally nailed the performance, you know. <laughs> and uh, but do I think that he didn't know he was recorded? No. Right. Do I think that he didn't realize this was a golden moment exactly. of podcast history? No way. He abs. I mean, as a podcaster, yep. You know, he was thinking, "Holy shit!" He had to have been. Perfect. He had to have been. I'm gonna be. This is gonna be that moment right. that people will define me by. You know, I was there when that it, I have all this history. You know, it's like <gasps> this is going to be big. You know, I'm sure that I mean, I don't know if I, that's just me. being No, cynical. I, I'm glad you feel that way because I definitely detected some crocodile tears. But at the really? same, well, uh, but at the same, but at know. the same time, I think he was genuinely. I think he's a human being. Yeah, I think he cared about John B. Macklemore, but I think he, I think he, like you said, he knew he was in a moment. Yeah, he knew he was gonna. He was like. Gold. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I'm going to go on record and fully disagree for the following reasons. Number one, <laughs> I, as I said, this couldn't have been his only coal in the fire. Like he has to have multiple stories developing because how do you totally. know what's going to pan out? At that point in the in the story, he had never met all these other clockmakers, any of these friends. He didn't know he was a genius. He didn't really know that he was gay. He didn't know any of that stuff. Right. So there's no way he had all the information we have that in that moment he knew this was his ticket. So I think. And I felt that he honestly was like, oh, shit. But, uh, but now, is he an experienced podcaster and he amped it up? Uh, I don't know. But I don't think he was that cynical at that moment. I mean, I no, I'm not saying yeah. cynical. I'm, and I'm not painting yeah. it as yeah. maybe as cynical as, as Michael is because he's a cold-hearted bastard. Cold-hearted <laughs> snake. But, but, She's a cold-hearted snake. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying he, he had... He had genuine feelings because he's a human being. Right. And you can tell throughout the whole podcast. Yeah, he's not a monster. He's a nice I mean, guy. No. He's a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But no, I you guarantee you in the moment he was thinking this could – maybe he didn't know. Yeah, it can be both things. He's yeah. a journalist. There's no way. And he's a successful There's no way he one. didn't know, but also he probably was feeling upset. I imagine that his own efforts were behind this – production of s-town to begin with and the whole thing is so beautiful that i'm sure he was emotionally affected right totally and you can i mean either that or he is a very convincing psychopath because (laughs) he's one of the nicest podcasters i've ever heard you know i'm gonna tweet all you guys no not you you're okay i'm gonna tweet you guys quote brian reed is a monster (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So <laughs> regarding being a monster, let's speculate regarding diagnosis, which what? has nothing to do with monster. But um, this is a psychology podcast, so let, let's think about the diag- – we have two clinicians in the room. You're not a clinician, right, Corey? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, so let's let's th- what what do you think in terms of DSM language here? Uh, mood disorder. Okay. Uh, repressed sexual feelings. Okay. Um, so you got a cultural thing going on there for sure. Okay. Abuse. Um, and then I think the third component to that would be. Uh, oh, he's so freaking smart. Yeah. He's so intelligent that that puts him into another level of tormented. Yeah. And I started to think about all these. I don't know if I would qualify him as a genius, and I'm not necessarily qualified to qualify him as a genius, but uh, he was very smart. And, and, and that made him know things that would plague him. Yes. Yeah. So so when his when his mania would kick up, he would he would go into all these different projects and he would worry excessively about global warming and government conspiracies. And he would use these things to reinforce his perception that the world is shit. Yeah. And he did this so hard that I, I remember a scene where Brian Reed is walking around and he's showing him a shit town and he's like, oh, and that field over there. And remember that part where he gets to the point where he starts to, he's like, everything I said, he would he would immediately come back and contradict it. So, yeah, oh, yeah. look at that butterfly. Oh, yeah, this place has too many butterflies. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, so mood disorder, it sounds like you're saying bipolar. I would say that, yeah. Like full-blown mania or bipolar too, like like small mania? I don't know. It's it, uh, it seemed pretty rapid. I mean, how fast do you think his cycle was? How fast do you think that went on? Well, so... It's hard to tell because it, you get him in pieces. Yeah. If you did have bipolar, there was some indication that would indicate a kind of typical course of... You know, typically with bipolar, I would say bipolar two because if you had bipolar one, the mania would have been much more obvious. But, uh, but you know, and I wasn't really listening as a diagnostician as I was listening to the podcast, so I'm sort of just trying to remember. But you know how to turn that off. You got to show me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was truly, I didn't know I was going to do a podcast about it. I right. would have taken notes or something. You know what I mean? But at the time, I was like, uh, you know. But anyway. So, why are you diagnosing me right now? Is that absolutely <laughs> um, mental notes for all of you? <laughs> so, I think it sounded somewhat, if I remember right, which you know you got to take with a grain of salt. I, I feel like he had long bouts of depression that were that were you know a number of months, and then he would have these short moments, maybe a month of hypomania. I don't remember that specifically, but I, I had that sense that 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 might have been a course. Do you remember that, Berto? Uh, well, I mean. I don't know if it was an accident of the way the narration happened, but it certainly seemed that he would pop back into existence with a lot of information and and, and enthusiasm right. and then disappear back into the recede back. Um, and then there were also the accounts from his, uh, what's the the kid, the his, his protege. Yeah, Tyler. Uh, that sort of painted a similar picture in that, because he would come and he would be so generous and he'd be so engaged, but then he'd like rail against things and sort of recede again. Um but you know he was abused as a child. Yeah. He was. Did I miss Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I mean, remind me. I mean, okay. There's no proof. But <laughs> the guy, the guy, constantly was obsessed with with the the sexual uh, the the child predatory. Uh, well, that's true. Stuff in the town. He, oh, true. that's true. Right? Okay. Um, and he he basically was. Uh, how do I say this? He seemed very obsessed with that idea of protecting you know like and people not caring about the people being abused like when the 
like he's like, oh, uh, the story about the the gal without clothes, and then the one guy's totally like, oh yeah, she must have done something to deserve it, and he he took that to heart, right? And then also they say he was being constantly exposed to mercury. I can't. That can't oh, be good. Oh, the mercury. Yeah, like what was that? <laughs> and, oh my God. And, and finally, I totally agree with you. Well, actually, I, I will say, like, given that all these worldwide experts in this very, very difficult and sort of forgotten art are like, there is only one person that can do that job, <laughs> that puts someone in that category of at least vertically a vertical genius in at least some some category. You know, John B. Macklemore was sort of this grasshopper stuck in a jar. He would bounce against the walls and talk about how much he hated it. Even though the... But, okay, to run with this metaphor, the, there was no lid on the jar. Right. He could have jumped out at any point. Or he true. was the jar. Oh! <laughs> grasshopper. Snap. <laughs> Get it. Well, what, what if what if he was the lid? Or what if he was the, the, the tread on the lid and the grasshopper was... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, I would say, and this is like a broken record because... I always see borderline everywhere, but I saw really yeah I saw elements of borderline. The song yeah borderline border, borderline. Um, <laughs> uh, now that song you know right? Borderline. There's this new there's this new artist called Madonna that everyone's into. Oh my god, I think I've heard of her. It's really good. Uh, yeah, borderline. So does she sing? Pop 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 borderline. It looks like bipolar a lot. People will often mistake it for bipolar because people because people with borderline when they're triggered. When their relational trauma is triggered, they will get so hurt and betrayed that they will their self esteem will plummet, their anger goes up, they they become erratic, they start um, they might become quite energetic because they're traumatized and they're very hurt, and people will characterize that as like oh they're they're manic or and then they and then borderline people are often very depressed too because right. they're at a chronic feeling of feeling abandoned because of their relational traumas, and so. As I was listening to it, I, 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 I do remember thinking, I think he sounds a little borderline to me because the times when he would have his biggest reactions was when he felt rejected. Yeah, you're completely right, Kirk. Who was he? Was he reaching out for Tyler? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Tyler and also called, uh, well, at that point he was about to do it, but he called, called uh, out clerk. the lady, the, the clerk. Yeah. yeah. But that was more of like, I just need witness. you to witness. Yeah. Him. But if you got the feeling like if Tyler had gone over, he would have calmed down and everything would have been but, okay. But didn't it seem odd to you that, I mean, I know it's a small town, but I just need you to witness. Like, could she not multitask at that point? Probably f too far away. It's not like the 80s. She has, there's cell phones, there's things. There's like, yeah. hey, go over. I think he's, like, nothing? Well, Ooh. something that I thought was really interesting is the fact that they aired that they, this had happened a million times, that he kept threatening it to all of the people that were close to him. Another and that, side of borderline. Right. And that Tyler was going to go over there but didn't because it was the last time. And they, rather than say that Tyler tried everything that he could and he went over there and he did everything he could, he didn't because it was like the millionth time that this guy had threatened to kill himself. And you kind of have to understand that Tyler didn't go. Yeah, right. it's painfully obvious now that you pointed out. his his The, the way he has all of his relationships. He's social. He has a lot of people in his life, but nobody close. Yeah. And he's very explosive, and he has these high expectations, and when they're, when they're not met, yeah. he reacts poorly. Yeah. It's, it's total attachment yeah, disorder. Yeah, he, he fell in love with the city and had this very intense love relationship with the city, and then it, something went wrong, and it was like complete rejection. People with bipolar, they, they don't present that way. Yeah. They don't have that all-or-nothing, necessarily all-or-nothing kind of way of looking at things. And he fell in love with Tyler, 
both literally and figuratively and and also put all like a lot of hopes in him and then he was disappointing him left and right, right. as far as he saw it he represented everything right and wrong with the city and with yeah. the people and-, and and he made sure everyone knew that they were a disappointment Be- not because he's being manipulative because he genuinely because of his relational traumas that we don't know about he genuinely felt betrayed and hurt by everyone so so just to put a fine point on the other signs of borderline as we were talking about frequent suicidal gestures often to get attention there was a whole conversation with Brian Reed in which they talked about on the on the podcast in which he just sort of drops it in like well you know I'll probably kill myself soon or something kind of like that and it's like now people with bipolar will do that too sometimes but it's much more indicative of borderline because um, they're trying they're, – because they're so hurt on the inside, they need people to care for them. And because they don't really trust that people will genuinely care for them for themselves because they actually have very little self-esteem, if at all, they will use these tactics to say, like, do you love me enough to care about this? It paradoxically ends up pushing people away because people are like, oh, boy. And all the non-suicidal self-injury that he did with the tattooing, that's like – that's like right down the middle for, for borderline. Again, all these things can be shared by bipolar, but the way he came across to me, it, it, it seemed if I was to err on the side of something and go down an assessment road, I would have gone down the road of, of borderline. That's pretty fair. Pretty can, big. I, can I clarify from um, a non-therapist perspective, when you say borderline, you mean multiple personalities? No. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, good, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. It's a good question. So there's, there's the set of disorders called personality disorders. That So we have the mood disorders like depression, bipolar, where your mood, you might even consider biologically cycles over time or stays in one state of being depressed or even manic. But anyway, there's this whole other set of disorders which have to do with essentially when you have a biological disposition, say genetically, for the disorder and you're mistreated as a child, you develop these these ways of – interacting and feeling about yourself and other people that are persistent. If, if, if have you just, just a quick question, Corey, have you ever been depressed for a day or something? Sure. When you're depressed, do you know like, Oh, something's kind of off about me. I think, I think I'm depressed. That's the nature of depression is you, you notice it from the outside. You say, I am depressed. This is not normally me. There's a real me. And then there's this depression that is now on top of me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. With borderline and the other personality disorders, they don't know. They're, they just – they have no idea that there's something different about them. They might complain about depression. They might complain about anxiety. They might complain about relationships. But what they don't know is there's actually something different about their personality. For instance, with borderline, if you treat a young child in a, such a way that you make them feel chronically or very severely abandoned, you know, say a, a parent – sexually abuses a child, which is a kind of abandonment. It's a, it's a non-love kind of interaction, right? Uh, or literally abandons the child, you know, and just gives them up for adoption or some other kind of thing. The, child's, the child learns very intensely and, and neuronally that they cannot trust other people and that they are worthless and that they can't – they're not good enough to be loved. And so it's not just a cognitive thought like, oh, I'm not loved. It's deep – in their personality and it doesn't go away. And so they retain this notion and this baseline psychology that they're not worth it. And, and that can make you chronically feel suicidal, empty, 
longing, hurt, angry. It just, it just, it, you know, and you project all these things on other people and you see things where you don't, where they're not necessarily there. That's why they call it borderline is because in the beginning it was borderline psychotic and that borderline delusional. The psychoanalysts would talk to these people and they'd be like, you know, just as I always give this example, I had a client once who had borderline and she called me in between sessions. And this is when I was working in an agency and the receptionist said, uh, your client is on the phone. And I'm right, I have like five minutes to go to the bathroom and get my files in order and everything. And so I'm like running around. And normally I'd be like, I don't have time for that. You know, they're just going to have to leave a message. But I knew she was really sensitive to rejection. And so I, I stopped. I slowed down. I got the phone. And I'm behind the front desk. And there's all these people running around. And I get on the phone and I say, hey, how's it going? You know, she's like, oh, I just call in to check in. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, how you doing? You know, have a little back and forth. And I say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in between clients right now. Probably have to, probably have to go. I'll see you at our next appointment time. She's like, okay, great. Thanks for taking my phone call. She didn't have anything to say. She just, she just wanted to check in what she would do sometimes. That's because they're, they want a connection with people. I hung up for two years or longer. She would repeatedly bring this interaction up as a moment in which I supremely betrayed her. Oh my goodness! That's th- that, what that was like. Yeah, for for two, two years later, she'd be like, "Well, pff, remember that one time on the phone? Remember that?" <gasps> this and, is a better twist, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's not a manipulation. It's not. It's not a lie. It th- that's how it feels to them. I mean, we've all had that where we've been in a fight, and in the moment we feel completely betrayed and then later on we're like ah, i think i might have been overreacting you know yeah. but to the borderline that's the constant state and so it feels to the outside viewer almost delusional because it's like were we even having the same interaction because that was not the situation and it's it's persistent regardless of of reality checking so the client will say you know were you rejecting me and i was like no no i was totally trying to I was, you know, I was busy and you know, I'm really sorry. You know, most people will, they'll adjust the way they see things. But with people with borderline, it'll, because of how deep their trauma is, it's hard for them to accept even the notion that someone cares about them. And so it's, it's all kind of messed up. Does yeah. I, I thought yeah, you were going to say sense. that for years on, she said, oh, that time that really helped me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were times That's when she funny. absolutely would say that, but yeah. for some reason there was something about that interaction that really tweaked her. Oh man. And, um, and so this is why a lot of clinicians don't work with people with borderline because they, they, it takes a long time for them to change. And when they're upset at you, they're very angry. They're like, if I had John B. McElmore as a, as a, as a client, in all likelihood, I would have been shit mm-hmm. therapist. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's because because if you betray someone, then yeah. if if someone feels betrayed by you, uh, then they absolutely hate you and they'll attack you too. They won't because they again they're so hurt anyway. So what about the masochism? Yeah, is that borderline? Is that part of that? Right. So well, we call it self injury, non suicidal self injury, self harm, self harm. You think the tattoo thing was a self harm, not a? Because I took it at face value that it was an attempt to help fund this tattoo guy that was a friend of his. But that in itself is also a warped attachment yeah. d- d- behavior. Did you see the picture? I did. Online? Yeah, I did. That's not a fund your friend thing. Well, and then he had the nipple thing too. Yeah. So the nipple thing really set it off because he would have quote unquote tattoos on his nipple without any ink. 
So he was just having the needle on his nipple, but, and my God, can well, they, you they, imagine? Yeah. No. They described the whole church thing. That's what he called going to church. Yeah, yeah. It was a constant pain that he wanted inflicted to feel the right. pain. So there are two, there's a lot, there's a lot of possibilities. One, obviously in line with borderline because of two reasons. One, it is a masochistic thing, like I deserve to be hurt. And two, it it helps to calm the nerves because when you have pain, it releases endorphins in the brain. It's that similar to an, an opioid or something. Also, when you're feeling pain, you're not thinking anything right. else or feeling anything else. Right. And it also doubles as like a self-punishment, like I deserve to be hurt in this moment. And this is going to church to be flogged or something. Yeah, because they described it, and it's obviously in the, t- in the tattoo. He had them actually flog him yeah. to get welts for real. That's right. And then tattoo. He was getting tattoos on welts. Right. Yeah. So, That's not normal. So, well, so when people are suffering on an ongoing basis, which borderline people often do, sadly, they will resort to a lot of different things to soothe them, and a lot of them will land on these sorts of things and realize, and usually it's like cutting, right? Cutting on the arm or something or, or any kind of self-injury. Burning. Kind of burning, punching yourself, you know, all sorts of things. And so it could have been in line with that. It could have been a way for him, for him to calm his brain. The other possibility, it was just, you know, there's some people who just really love pain. It's, 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 a, it's a thing to them. That's separate from the borderline presentation. So I couldn't really tell which one it was because it had flavors of both, actually. Because it, it kind of felt like a, I mean, not a, I don't want to say kinky, but it felt like a... It felt like a sexual fetish. Or like a pleasure f- fetish. Yeah, ex- yeah, which isn't not... That's, I don't take that as a sign of mental illness or there's anything that... You got to be careful with sexual fetishes because then you, you tread over to something that there's not necessarily wrong with somebody. They just, they're just into that. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, to make it more sexy <laughs> imagine you know it's yourself and a ver- whoever you desire sexually is doing this to you because you know he he described himself as at least bisexual well, he and, really liked Tyler, and so the fact that Tyler was the one doing it right so imagine your sexual interest is touching your body while you're naked on your chest oh that's true you know it's it you know it again in our minds because we're like well these are two alabama rural hicks you know it it doesn't seem like a porn but in you know from his mind it could have very much been like you're saying a sexual fetish and yeah. and i and i there's another category you're saying sexual fetish but i'm maybe broadening it to just to just pleasure i mean i know people who just they like to snap a you know, a rubber band on their arm just because they just kind of like the way it feels or they something. They use that for mindfulness. Right. You know? So, I'm, yeah. Right. And so that might have been another thing for right. him. It could have helped him to calm himself and to focus on the moment. There's nothing like pain that can really make you do that. Have any of you guys ever done anything like that before? Any kinds of uh, self-inflicted pain for mindfulness? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's been a while since I've gone into the old tool shed and... Had my nipples pierced, but... I mean, could you call it, like, exercising? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty painful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people will do that for sure. There's certain endorphins that are released when, when you're in distress, um, and there's a rhythmic nature to, to exercising sometimes that mm-hmm. people will, you know, that feels pleasurable. You know? Oh, I thought that was a joke, but I guess it's serious. No, no, <laughs> no it's true. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but with him, he also had these very repressed sexual 
desires and urges and this man you're totally right kirk he had this giant hole in the middle of him he's always looking to emotionally fulfill it with all these dysfunctional relationships i think his love life his love life was particularly interesting because it started off uh it comes to find out that he has a mentor sort of at one point he john macklemore was the tyler of the relationship he had an older mentor sort of uh relationship and he then went on what was the the first guy the the prototype tyler where he had the same kind of i think yeah yeah, he had the same kind of relationship and then it dissolved because john macklemore started to want too much more of that attachment disorder stuff and then he starts to do the same thing with tyler well michael michael started dating a woman and 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 that was and he like, didn't like it. And then he described her as a drug addict, as a you know, like basically he described it as a lost cause that he failed at. Whereas yeah. when the guy went to visit, it's like actually they seem very functional and they have right. Know. Yeah, I remember. I vaguely remember that whole storyline and and also seeing signs of uh, black and white thinking people with borderline because of their traumas, because they're so desperate for attachment. As soon as there's an inkling of attachment, they will do everything they can to secure that attachment, and they'll make you feel very loved and needed. But then as soon as there's any inkling of rejection, you because they predicted all along that you were going to leave them because of how many times people have left them, they suddenly will turn on you and, and uh, see you in a whole different light. And so did that happen with that relationship? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he basically called it uh, the way uh, Brian Reed thought he was going to encounter was essentially a drug den. If he wasn't dead, it, they were going to be living in some squalor in a drug den because that's how he put it. It was a complete disaster. He failed at, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and it's like, no, it seems like the, if he had problems before, he certainly turned his life around. And ironically, credited, 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 credited uh, John for helping him. Yeah. Um, I wish they would have consulted with someone that would have talked at least about this issue because to me and to you michael now it's it's at least a a pretty solid hypothesis yeah and so and then we you know hopefully would have gone into some of his history at least had an inkling isn't that funny that he consulted clearly with a, a medical like you know what the body could how the body's affected by chemicals yeah external chemicals but not necessarily i don't know if he did and decided not to include it but right. it didn't seem like he consulted well with- well even if he did he probably because most people don't see borderline they don't understand it one a lot of people are and this is documented a lot of people with uh, with borderline are misdiagnosed with with bipolar or something Mm. else and especially men and especially masculine men because borderline is traditionally a female thing but of course men are just as apt to be emotionally abandoned as women are do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean if you know so they also suffer from borderline anyway um, so even if he had consulted with a hundred different professionals, I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if none of them even brought up the hypothesis of borderline. Yeah. But I, I was also uh, kind of screaming at the at my phone when at the end it seemed like they were kind of landing on the hypothesis that it was the mercury yeah. uh, poisoning. Because to me, I was like, "Oh, thank God!" There's an there's an episode. The fu- the whole point of this is like mental health awareness that you get to the full story of a guy who kills himself. It's not just this tagline of like "crazy dude kills himself." You know, it's like 
It's like you really get a sense of his full personality. And in the end, it seems like they just went for the mercury poisoning thing, which obviously could be the case. And there was some biological evidence that that might have been the case. Sure as hell didn't help. Right. But it seemed like most people walked away going, oh, it was the mercury. That's what it was. Because our society is so much more medically minded. And when we have a medical hypothesis, it makes so much more sense to us because there's a, a linear kind of understandable relationship. His brain was poisoned and his poisoned brain made him kill himself. You know what I mean? But wouldn't you expect to see some kind of psychosis out of something like that, even if it's mild? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't have the symptoms in front of me, but according to things that I was reading, it, it, it made sense given the symptoms. But again, it overlaps with bipolar, it overlaps yeah. with borderline, it overlaps with just depression, you know, so uh, who knows. But, yeah, so psychosis, I think, could have been present, but it doesn't necessarily have to be present. I mean, I didn't see anything. I just, I don't know. I think I think psychosis, when I think any kind of, uh, I mean, I don't know the symptoms of mercury poisoning, admittedly, yeah. but yeah, uh, it's, well, it just but, seems like there would be a missing piece there. Yeah, or just maybe more... Yeah, yeah, but from what I read, it it it, it was consistent with it, um, and maybe a more emotionally dysregulated or something like that. But he was he was pretty emotionally dysregulated, right. you know what I mean? Right. So I th- so it if if that was an hypothesis, it's a pretty sound hypothesis. But the fact that borderline wasn't included at all, and the fact that it it felt like the ending hypothesis was was mercury poisoning because yeah. it had a poetic tragedy to it in that he was this clock person and one of the only people that could do that method right and he had this sort of old school method and it was slightly masochistic and then he was like he kind of killed himself or killed his brain through his own art and he was this genius art person you know what i mean and it's much more poetic than he had a mental illness or he was abused as a child and that you know so i i honestly i feel like there's there's um there's truth on both sides no matter what because uh the guy that the people that knew him for like 20 years or longer that were clockmakers they s- described that the first time they encountered him he already had a reputation for being sort of wacky and and weird mm-hmm. <laughs> and and at that point he hadn't been doing that technique for like 50 years or something right number 1 number 2 uh he was super smart, very well read, knew uh, quantum physics, astro- astronomy, uh, all a bunch of fields. There is no way in hell that he didn't know what Mercury does. Well, he also had a penchant for just disregarding shit he didn't want to believe was true. It's, it, that's fair. He's that's really fair. good at denying. That's fair. And but uh, what I what I what I'm getting at is I think he knew from the get go. Yeah, risks, that he, he was, was aware. Things, which I think would lend itself to some sort of personality thing, right. And or abuse and all sorts. Well, of Well, and know. yeah, because and that's what I was thinking was how much of that was real and how much of it wasn't. I mean, there was actual witnesses to him doing that Mercury thing. Yeah. But how much did he play that up for other people to notice and how much did he actually participate in? You and, know what I mean? And, and it's not like he... Uh, here's another thing. is He wasn't repairing a daily $100,000 clock with uh, gold plating. Yeah. That wasn't like his daily job. It's like every now and then some old thing would come by and they would need some gold plating restoration. Right. So it, now they did say something about there was some mercury involved in the church thing, like in the recurring torture thing. Really? I didn't quite get that part. Oh, it's Maybe because it was in that. the shop. Oh, the it, place it where they would shop. have church was like exposed yeah. to it. Oh, I see. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. But but I still, so I would still question like, 
you're right, Kirk. That maybe it, maybe it was a, a little played up, even by him. Interesting point. It could have been that the Mercury thing itself could have been something he brought out. Look what I'm doing for you. I'm making this clock at the expense of my, my own health. health and how much I care about you. And right, that's yeah. a total. Yeah, yeah. Uh, borderline thing to do. Right. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. I think this entire podcast was about empathy. And I think the Mercury is a perfect example of that because they end with, for the past four chapters, or for the last four chapters, you're thinking that he's depressed and he's sad and these are the reasons that everything's happening. But then they give you this little twist at the end that I think is supposed to say it could happen to anyone. Like, maybe don't just discount this person for being so depressed or borderline, but it could happen to anyone. Like, I feel like the entire time they're making the point that there are two sides to every single story, like with Rita and with Tyler. Or when Tyler says on the phone that, do you think I'm a bad person, Brian? And Brian's like, no, I don't think you're a bad person. I think you're a complicated, normal person and you just have different experiences than I do. So I think that was like, like if I was going to write a paper about shit town, it would be about like empathy. empathy. And I think the mercury poisoning at the end is just another way of them being like, okay, here's something different. Here's another yeah. side to the story. Yeah. And yeah. not, and not judging the book. Right. Because I, uh, what the things I got from the podcast were number one, <clears throat> I got to admit, like, from the very beginning, even though Brian sp- already spoke from the beginning with some uh, reverence about the character, uh, hearing him talk and a little bit of the wackiness, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, this is like not a very smart individual. And obviously, I was extremely wrong, right? <laughs> number two, his friends, the people there, it, again, it was very eye-opening because I'm like, wow, I don't know people like this. And I feel like I have nothing in common, but they're also real people. And the reason they're... The reason they don't sound like what I would expect them to sound like is because they're actually living in in different areas where there's not the same access to the same stuff that I have access to. And um, and they're, most of them are poor. I mean, he was clearly the exception, right? A lot of them don't have money and they, um, and they have medical problems. And so I was like, it, to your point, it made me more empathetic for a different part of the country. That, yeah, absolutely. That, uh, the stereotype interesting. that surrounds them. And then it, that's an interesting part of the as, uh, aspect of the show, too. You, you, Brian Reed, this self-described Yankee going mm-hmm. into Alabama, and he, you got to experience that through his eyes, as you would have, as yep. this person who has no idea, and you made these general assumptions about how, oh, well, I don't think he's that smart, yep. you know? Southern rural Alabama. I may, hopefully I would, hopefully think I wouldn't fall into that stereotype, but you never know. You make these assumptions and then you get to know somebody and it turns out that's not true. You think he's poor as a church mouse, as they say in the, in the podcast. Turns out he's a supposed millionaire, um, smart as hell. Part, part of what um, keyed me in, because one of the reasons I was in my head thinking, yeah, he's not very smart, is because I, I get a little competitive when someone's so- sounding smart, and, and he was saying so many things, like like he was like, oh, the quantum physics, I'm like, oh, he, he just read that. You know, I was like, you're not that smart. Well, you have that, yeah. too. You have people who will pretend to, um, I mean, I've seen that, uh, you know, project intelligence by citing quotes and statistics of things that they can't really back up. I read something about 20% of the people. No, just kidding. Uh, no, absolutely. And so I was getting that sense and I was like a little like, oh, you're not that smart. The thing is, I actually both have known people and have known of people that know people that are one of a kind in a specific field. Mm-hmm. And uh, this tends to happen a lot with, so uh, Kirk and I are into music and we, I, I, Kirk knows that in the past I've bought like, um, sort of very expensive pieces of, of equipment to record with. Um, 
there are some pieces of equipment that are from like a long time ago, the 50s and stuff like that, that no longer get maintained or produced. And there's only a few humans around the world that even know how to fix or maintain these kind of things. And I've noticed that there's these communities that spring up around this and they get revered because like, oh, yeah, you got to talk to such and such in Austin. He's the one guy in America that will do this one thing. Very similar to how they were talking about this clock repair. But those guys, there's this trend where a lot of them get a little weird. They disappear on people. So there's all these stories. There's a site I I go to called Gearsluts.com. Sorry, no offense. (laughs) But that's what it's called. And in there... um, People really love Richard Gere on that episode. (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) So hard. Gearsluts. No, but they talk about all these people, all these uh, repair folks. And and a lot of them worked in like like German company that built these devices or whatever. Uh, And then all of a sudden, they go wacky or they go missing. I had an experience where I paid through PayPal for uh, a very expensive piece of equipment ahead of time when he was this guy was designing it he was he, he was going to sell a whole bunch of them and myself and many others got defrauded cuz he went missing and never never owned up to the money or the devices recently right uh no like 8 years ago 10 years ago oh yeah but but then his friends like close friends of him were trying to find him to try to make him right and so, no and then everyone that knew him is like no he's He's really smart. He wasn't faking. Like he really knows how to do this. Uh, and then again, it happened. Um, and maybe this is what you're thinking of. Like more recently, there was another situation like that. And then in the arcade world, like uh, game arcades, same sort of thing happens. These guys that know the one guy that knows how to repair this one arcade machine. So I wonder if part of like being really smart and really focused on one area, uh, it goes hand in hand with some of these other extreme personality aspects. Yeah, it could be. You know? Could be. Yeah, I will close by emphasizing what you're saying, Corey, in that the episodes, uh, the podcast really helps us, uh, hopefully it did me, to have empathy for a, a wider range of human beings. And given our politics in our country right now, we could use a little bit more of that, yeah? Yeah. Yes. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, Corey and Michael, from the Unpopular Culture Podcast. Happy to be here, Kirk. Thank you for having us. It was fun. Thank you for being here, guys. Well, that does it for that episode. Thanks for joining us because... Borderline! Oh, and you deserve it. (laughs) 